0: I'm gonna have to debate that with you. I, I think I- <laughs> Okay, I, I, let's I, go.
1: <laughs> you know- <laughs> The Saanich Land where people broke down and started screaming at each other. <laughs> <laughs> this is Saanich Land with Dean Murdoch and Naomi Devine. Hey Dean. Hey Naomi.
2: I'm wondering something. hmm How do you get around town?
1: Oh, I like to ride my bike. I've always been, well not always, but I would say the last 15 years. I enjoy the bike commute to and from work. And just because I love the 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 physical activity at the beginning and the end of the day and I love the just the opportunity to kind of decompress. And you know what's really cool is that you can hear and smell and be a part of the community as you're traveling through it. Unlike when you're in a car and you really only experience what's happening inside the car. So it's, it's, I, I don't know, there's something about it that just makes me feel like I am part of the community while I'm commuting in the community.
2: Nice. Yeah, that's wonderful.
1: What about you? How do you get around?
2: Oh, well uh, that's an interesting story. So I, <laughs> <laughs> I have a vehicle that I call the tank, and uh, I love it. And I wrote a love letter to it once on, and they wrote it, they read it out on CBC 31 on on the island, um, <laughs> <in> the <morning>. <laughs> <laughs> which was fantastic. Um, And I need it because um, there's no transit where I live in the mm. So uh, you get around by a car, and you know, hopefully now soon, e-bike. That's where I'm headed. It's I really am excited to go get an e-bike. So you're gonna
1: go e-bike
2: yeah but you know what the problem for me is
1: what's the problem
2: I want a sexy e-bike
1: thing. a sexy e-bike
2: that's what I'm after and so I want like a beach cruiser style yeah um e-bike but like with with I don't want the battery to be visible so I love the white Ooh, frame mm-hmm. you know of a beach cruiser style you know kind mm-hmm. of a ride. and it's yeah I, I just don't like the look of the battery now this is Ridiculous, you know, to some degree, but hey, we want what we want. The heart wants yes. what it wants.
1: The heart um, and, wants what it wants.
2: Yeah, and there are, the good news is, though, there are better designs, I'd say, coming online, some more advanced designs because the um demand has really shot up. And of course, gas prices are eye watering, you know, too. So that's, oh, I'll, yeah. Yeah. You know, shift the demand, you know what I mean, as well. And so, Anyway, I'm in the market looking for e-bikes and I'm finding ones are quite nice. Not exactly the e-bike of my dreams. So I'm willing to compromise. I'll take something else in the meantime. <laughs> and hope, yeah. hope this hope other style kind of comes uh, comes to fruition at some point. But, uh, you know, and we you, need them. Um, I wish I could take the bus. I actually miss taking the bus. Maybe or not. Yeah,
1: I used to enjoy riding the bus too. That was a, a regular, um, before I started biking to work, uh, I was regularly on the bus. I mean, I, I don't mean to sound pious at all i do have a car i do drive um but my commuting mode of travel is usually by bike and, uh, but I-, I used to ride the bus quite a bit more and really enjoyed the experience of not having to be responsible for the trip that you right. could do other things and get to your destination
2: exactly like i'm behind on my reading now i've got all these great books that i want to read and i used to you know save it for the bus you know as well and uh now I've got to find another, another way to squeeze that reading in. So I miss it. So yeah, there's, there's lots of benefits, but you know, when you can travel and you don't have to be the driver, you know, of your, Mm -hmm. your so yeah.
1: I um years and years ago after university, I lived in Japan and was an English teacher. Like so many people who graduate from university go off to do. And as people rave about the transit system in Japan is incredible. There's a bus or so, there is a train everywhere. And that was one of my favorite things because I would have to go and teach in different parts of the region. And so I would just hop on the train and bring my book with me. And uh, I would have the book finished within, you know, a couple of days because that was what I got to do while I was commuting. And it was just such a nice, relaxing sort of way to. In between being an instructor and you know, travel and enjoying Japan. Um, it was just a nice kind of downtime time to myself.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I dream of a region here that's so connected that you, you know, you can choose to not have your car be the primary way of mm-hmm. getting around want to, or, or if you can't, you know, kind of thing too. So luckily we I, spoke to oh, four people, I think, who share that kind of a dream. Hey.
1: Absolutely, yeah, and uh, what a fantastic conversation it is! I'm looking forward to to sharing it with folks. Before we turn it over to that conversation, I just want to uh, start with with an acknowledgement that we're broadcasting today from the homelands of the Lekwungen peoples, the Esquimalt and Songhees nations, and the Wasanich peoples, the Sartlip, Paukitchin, Sayout, Sakim, and Malahat nations.
2: And we're grateful to be able to, yeah, work, live, and play on these lands. Absolutely. All right. So who do we have today? We have Stephen McMurray from Capital Bike has joined us for this conversation.
1: Yeah. And Thomas Guerrero from Sidewalking Victoria is with us as well.
2: And the lovely Amanda McDonald from Walk-On Victoria.
1: And Elise Cote, who I've known a long time, uh, is with Better Mobility Saanich. And she's a self-described angry citizen, although I don't think she comes across as particularly angry, uh, but that—that that was how she described herself.
2: <laughs> that was, yeah, self-described. But uh, I think she's got—I think she's got some righteous um, righteousness to her. That's uh, I think will be uh, we can all relate to. Really, is what I found. You know, yeah,
1: absolutely.
2: True. I'll speak a lot of truth, you know, too. And uh, it was great to—well, I mean, as you know, we pretty much started with some questions and then watched them take over, which was fantastic.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they really led the way through that conversation, and it's a good one. I'm excited to, for people to, to listen in because uh, we really get into some great stuff.
2: Me too. So um, enjoy, everyone, and then um, tell us what you think of our new question.
3: Let's kick it off with maybe a new sort of challenging question. What do you say, Dean? I've got one ready to go.
1: I like it. Yeah, let's mix it up.
3: Okay, so we want to hear from everybody tonight. Um, is it Nanaimo bar or butter tart? Um, and let's start. Oh with,
4: yes, uh, Amanda. Oh, I didn't know it'd be so controversial to start off. With that. <laughs> right uh, off I the that right off the top. I mean, we're on Vancouver Island. I think we have to say Nanaimo bar.
1: Oh, it's like a loyalty thing.
4: Mm. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah.
1: <laughs> how, how do you feel in terms of uh, flavor texture or taste
4: flavor oh you know what it's really the butter tears with the raisins are a big no for me I do yeah. not like raisins my baked goods there's no reason for them to be there at <laughs> all you know so if butter tar with no raisin if, if that's okay on my books but if you put those raisins in there it's a hard pass otherwise
1: you'd go in a Naimo bar
4: yeah for sure okay <laughs> Good to know. Steven looks like he had something
3: to say. So, Steven,
0: I just don't understand the hatred towards raisins in baking. It's like this uh, you know, it's like there's two types of people in the world, it's like one of those conundrums
1: uh <laughs> those who love raisins and baking and those who don't
0: yeah yeah and you know it's like that that's how you can tell if your relationship is going to work with your significant others like are you okay with like raisins and baking and if you're both in agreement on whatever you choose you seem to be good to go and so i think you can tell that i my choice here is definitely with the the butter tart um, with raisins mm-hmm. with raisins oh absolutely yes wow
1: all right they're one of the two types of people in the world a raisin yeah. lover we the we all
5: know that the two types are cilantro lovers and cilantro haters. Oh, yeah. I, I am like on the fence a, about sure. raisins. I, I am a raisin neutral. We no. exist. Cilantro? <laughs> absolutely. You cannot have a mixed cilantro relationship. That that I will give you. That okay. one? No.
3: Fair enough. But uh, don't sidestep the question, Elise. Nanaimo bar, I
5: unfortunately neither because I don't eat dairy. Okay. Oh,
1: what What about like a vegan Nanaimo bar or a vegan? Well, I guess it can't if be they a butter were both tart.
5: Vegan. I would have to go Nanaimo bar.
6: There you go. Okay. Right on. I'm, what, what, I'm where, 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 where? definitely going on for butter tart.
1: Oh, okay. Wow. So it, yeah. is that three to one? Butter tart. Butter tart, butter tart, and and I'm vegan. Butter, uh, then I'm and I'll vegan.
6: even I can even say I know where the best butter tart is in on the South Island too. Oh yeah, fill us in. And, and that would be and that would be at the Roost uh, out in out in uh, Saanich, uh Central Saanich
1: Beautiful spot.
6: Yeah,
3: that is a lovely spot. I love. All right, it. well,
1: everybody, grab your bikes. We know where we're going.
3: Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> their brownie
6: there is also amazing.
3: Um, wonderful. All right. Well, thank you for the recommendations, and thanks for everyone for letting us know um, what your choice is in, in tonight's controversial topic. So now let's get into the easy stuff, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> so here's what we want to know: What is your main way of getting around? Like, do you walk, bike, bus, or drive? What's like your predominant mode of transportation? And then maybe what's your what else do you
5: use on a regular basis?
3: Elise, let's go to you. Let's start with you.
5: Hi, uh, my Main mode of transportation at this point is electric cargo bike. Um, And I say electric specifically because I am at this point disabled. I cannot ride um, an acoustic or a bike without an e-assist. And I actually can't walk very much either. So I even use my bike sort of as a mobility device in scenarios where I maybe would have walked before. and then my second mode is car. So, um, yeah, regular old car. And I, at this point, um, have not taken the bus for a very long time. Um, and, yeah, I used to walk a lot, but I can't really do that anymore. Thank you. Stephen, what about you? How do you get around?
0: Yeah, I think my my main mode of transportation, uh, now with the return to office for where I work, has definitely been a bike. The uh, to expand on Elise with the the e-bike is um, I'm very lucky to have a very mobile body and uh, I try to be athletic as well. And the number of people that used to be out on the trails on their bikes versus uh pre e-bike world and now into the e-bike world it's like a vast difference and I think that the accessibility of an e-bike just is so transformative to everything and I like I, I remember riding in it was like January and I've got like five layers on I've got like ice on my beard And this like group of old folks, I don't know how old they were. They were definitely double my age though, uh, or older. And they've got like snow gear on and they're on this e-bike on a tour and they're all like sipping coffee. And I had never considered seeing people of that age range out for like anything more than a walk. And here they were on a bike trail. And uh, just hearing Elisa's story as well is that it's like, I don't know. I love bikes, but at the same time is like with a car is um, if you don't have an e-bike, which I don't. Uh, and so like I have to drive to get groceries because bulk buying is the only way to stay affordable in the city at the, at the moment. So uh, unfortunately, I do drive often as well, but I, I wish that I could get an e-bike, but the you price would, keeps going okay, up.
5: You would love to see me. If you love seeing um, elders on e-bikes, sipping their coffee, you would love to see me Roll up with my box bike with my two large children, park it, get out, grab my cane or like my other mobility device, and like hobble away. People are like, "What just happened?" But yeah, absolutely. Like having that e-assist um, turns it into a mobility device for me, and it you know it actually makes it for most trips comparable in terms of the um, impact to my um, my energy levels and um, my health. To driving and you know it's a very healthy way for me to get around and
1: really so crazy. social too i i uh, rode past elise and her two kids uh, on the Lockside trail the other day so just an opportunity well, to social, actually but see also people
5: maybe anti-social i don't know if you've heard my <laughs> 80s playlist that i'm always blasting for my kids <laughs> but social maybe antisocial I'm not sure
1: <laughs> I love that I love the people rolling around town with their tunes playing
5: I certainly don't do it like in the forest but I'm like this is we're urban here we can you can yeah. <laughs> I usually
6: have a podcast playing on as I walk into work out loud on my uh on our amazing. stroller
5: amazing yeah. I like that I'm, I'm I'm gonna try that actually
3: Awesome. And so, yeah, Thomas, how do you get around? Do you predominantly walk or what's your what's your primary? Uh,
6: I mean, for my commute to work and stuff, uh, I'm walking uh, with usually with my son, uh, my two year old son in a stroller. And, um, uh, you know, apart from that, you know, we do obviously still drive on on the weekends for groceries and those sorts of things. But I would say 80 percent of the time I'm walking. And sharing
1: po- the podcast with the world. So we know you'll be <laughs> yep. introducing this episode of Saanich Land to all of your neighbors as you make your way down the street.
6: Well, I mean, I, I do occasionally listen to Lisa, Jean, and Eric as I walk along. So um, that would that would not be uh, out of the realm for sure.
4: Nice. <laughs> Amazing. And Amanda, what about you? Um, So I don't know if I have one way of being around. I definitely try to walk a lot doing errands in my neighborhood i'm lucky i live in a walkable community to be able to do that i used to be able to walk to work in 20 minutes which was the most amazing feeling in the world just being able to walk to work and walk home at the end of the day i unfortunately had to move further out from my job so it's a little bit too far but i I do cycle or i take the bus and today i did the combo of bussing in and walking home which was actually really nice so do mix it up and then like others say you know i I still drive to I think um, one of the, my pet peeves is when people say, you know, you're an active transportation advocate, they think, oh, you're a cyclist, you must cycle everywhere. Well, how are you going to move a couch if you're on your bike? And it's like, well, not everyone does everything all the time. You know, there's, mm-hmm. you know, different modes for different purposes. And, you know, we can all, there's, it's just creating more of a share for the active modes, I think. Yeah,
6: exactly. Increasing the percentage of the time that you're doing things besides being in the car. but.
5: It's such a good point, too, because I think that we get, especially in activist spaces, we get pushed to make our mode, our kind of identity or our personality in a way um, that is often pretty limiting. And I think um, I definitely had to grapple with that when I became disabled and couldn't ride the way that I used to. And during the period of, a, you know, finding a bike that would work for my current um situation and I was like oh my god people are gonna see me driving this <laughs> car and then they'll they'll stop a, I'm a driver now am I a driver and um it, you know I, it doesn't uh, I don't think it's helpful to reduce it to that and the fact of the matter is you know we're all pedestrians at some point we're, we're, we all move about in vehicles at some point um and you know not all of us bike but many of us do so I think um, as you said, Amanda, seeing it as, you know, uh, uh, taking a holistic view for ourselves as activists, as individuals, and um, looking at how our community responds to that is really important. But I would also say for me, there's a really big um, climate lens on how I choose to get around. And mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. but I don't choose to see it as like, oh, I did a bad thing. I drove in a car or I did some, you know, higher carbon emitting thing mm-hmm. i choose to see it as okay if i can reduce even half of my trips in um a, a vehicle that's a 50 percent reduction that's amazing come on that's great mm-hmm. there's no um you know the there's no kind of shame in in um not having it be a 100 percent reduction and so i think um you know, the more that we can see it, be be gentle with ourselves and see it holistically, the better off we'll be.
6: Well, I think we also have to see it as the fact that, you know, probably for the most of the people here, if, if you know, the vast majority or even probably 50% more people were, um, tra- you know, transporting themselves around, uh, you know, either by bike or walking, uh, you know, for most of their stuff, then that would be a significant reduction in carbon emissions across the capital. So it's, it's just being an example for when you can be one, um, but uh, don't kill yourself if you actually use a car, that's for sure. So uh,
1: I guess on that point, um, what is it that makes places walkable or bikeable? How, what is it that makes that decision so much easier?
4: Sure, so I'm with Walk on Victoria and our mission statement actually I think perfectly encapsulates this idea is that we wanna make Greater Victoria a safe, an enjoyable place to walk. And those are really the two things that I think of. It has to be safe for people to walk in their community. And it has to be enjoyable. People want to be able to get out and walk. Um, You know, in terms of safety, I hear from so many people that they just don't feel safe on the streets, whether it's from cars on the road that are speeding by too fast. Uh, You know, there's been a number of very tragic deaths and injuries of pedestrians in our community especially in the past year of you know people being hit by drivers in vehicles and you know they don't feel safe necessarily on the road so you know there's definitely things that the municipalities can do I'm not going to get into all the details of city planning right now but we can talk about it but you know and it could be other things you know from having street lighting and crosswalks and separated streets and lowering speed limits. So like if people aren't feeling safe, they're not gonna get out and walk in the community. That's the bottom line. Um, and then the enjoyability piece is, is really a bonus in terms of, you know, those are things like, are there nice gardens and public spaces? Are there benches? Are there water fountains? Are there public washrooms along your walking route? Um, is it a nice place to get out and walk and, you know, getting people out of their cars? To make that choice. So I think that's kind of those broad categories and there's, there's of course lots of little things that can contribute to those you know that, that cities can do.
1: I was having a conversation with somebody uh, earlier this week and uh, he is a former resident of James Bay and he said he lived in the community for almost a year before he finally put his finger on what he liked so much about it and it was that he could walk everywhere. That everything was totally accessible, and he was able to run into his neighbors and their dogs, and just you know enjoy the experience of getting from one place to another rather than making it um, a commute. Um, Thomas, you um, you dedicate a lot of your time thinking about this stuff. What what makes a neighborhood walkable or bikeable to you?
6: So I think you just you know you touched on one of the big ones there, Dean, and that's it, you know having things that are close by. Uh, you want, you know, in, in a close proximity to where you're where you live, you want to be able to go grocery shopping, even if it's not maybe not your big grocery shop. You know, you should have, you know, somewhere where you can pop by and get a few things. You wanna have a coffee shop, you wanna, you know, ideally have some other things like a hardware store and and you know, a few other amenities. I mean, it's perfect for me. I live in, in Oaklands and, and can easily walk down to either Quadra uh Quadra Village or down into North Park Village. And between the two of them, there's almost everything I could eat there. Downtown's only a twenty-minute walk, and it's great. I think that one of the, you know, key things that that makes, uh, you know, an area feel safe to walk in. It, well, it, you need to have you know slower traffic, and and also one of the things that we actually I think lack a little bit, uh, even in Victoria, is uh, wide enough sidewalks to make it feel comfortable and safe uh, to walk on and enjoyable because, uh, you know, we really still have almost everywhere just that sort of minimum 1.5 meter sidewalk. And and so I think that anywhere where you can have a nice broad sidewalk, uh, give yourself lots of space. And at the bonus of that is it also usually constricts traffic. So you slow down those cars a little bit as they go by you.
1: Lisa, I know this has been a, a big one for you um, and your neighborhood. Uh, what what are the ingredients to making a neighborhood more walkable or bikeable?
5: Yeah, I, it was um, it's interesting listening to the other um, folks in this discussion because um, you know from from my perspective, um, the, the real bare minimum threshold for being able to, to walk and bike anywhere is not met in my neighborhood. And um, you know, to take it back to kind of the, the high level piece that we've been talking about, as I was um, you know, thinking about the, the question, the ingredients that you need are a safe place to move yourself around by, by the mode that you've chosen and um, a connected network that can get you to where you're going. Um, and that, that, um, the proximity piece, I think often gets missed. Like, you know, can I actually get to the services that I need? Um, and so where I live in Gorge Tillicum, so urban Saanich, absolutely all of the services that I need are very close to me. Um, but in order to get to them, even a couple blocks, Unless I'm in a, a motor vehicle, there is no designated space for me um, at all. There's none. Um, so there is no sidewalk. There is no bike lane, not even a painted one. There's not even any recognition on the streets that there's no sidewalk and that the space is shared. So um, I'm often left kind of trying to jump off into people's muddy boulevards um, with my children. So um, that absolute bare minimum threshold is not being met and in other parts of my neighborhood and other areas and this is, I believe a particular issue in rural Saanich that I notice. Um, there may be some infrastructure but that connectivity piece is not there um, and that's certainly been my experience with the bike lanes in my area so, so it, you know it's all well and good you're going along down a bike lane maybe it's just a painted shero it's not great but at least you've got a space where you, there's a legal agreement that that's where you should be um and then all of a sudden that ends at an intersection and so how do you then insert yourself into the lane of traffic at, in, in an intersection um and so um that those real kind of bare minimum pieces are missing and um kind of brings into to kind of stark contrast that Need for a designated space um, for the mode that we've chosen, and um, connectivity in a network that brings us to the um, the amenities and the services that we desire to reach.
4: That's really.
6: Uh, interesting. I, I think at least some something you said on there that, that you know when you think of Gorge Tillicum too, like that that neighborhood, you may have a lot of amenities near you, but when you get to them. You know those those amenities are actually usually surrounded by you know a sea of of parking lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think about like you know Tilikum Mall or if you're going across uh, over into Esquimalt to the Thrifties or something like that. And yeah, so you I, I build live
5: a- I live right between Tilikum Mall and Gorge Plaza, and yeah. Yeah, both of them it's the the, the absolute the accessibility. At every level from, you know, leaving my door to entering um, the premise of the businesses is not designed at all for any mode other than private vehicles.
6: Yeah, because you can build the best network, you know, uh, in a city. But if we're not also thinking from from the planning perspective of uh, when those you know places are built and making it so that when you get to the place, the private property that you go onto is also a safe place for pedestrians or for cyclists. Um, Absolutely, you and know, even really- that
0: comes
5: down to even, you know, where do I lock my bike? And I recently yeah. went and spent a ton of money on a new lock system that has an alarm if the bike gets moved because there's so many times that there's nowhere to park a bike um let alone a massive cargo bike and um so I'm left kind of just having to leave it somewhere where I can't really lock it um so you know you're right there's that that flow right into the private premise that's absolutely not there in um in my neighborhood and many dare I say all of urban urban's has this issue for Mm -hmm. sure and yeah. Uh, rural Saanich even more so
0: yeah like I, I I just wanted to add on that like one thing that I always talk whenever I'm talking about sidewalks because I, I live right by uptown on um West Saanich Road and if I want to walk towards uptown there are some sidewalks but if I want to walk not towards mm-hmm. uptown and I want to go for a um urban walk through my neighborhood there's no sidewalks mm-hmm. and I think if you like Sa- the Saanich city of Saanich released their active transportation plan. And I'm just taking a look at it here. Now I think it's like page 107 and it's like pedestrian improvements are highlighted in red, I'm not trying to be dramatic, but it's the whole city.
1: Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Like, well, like,
0: like <clears throat> there, There's no sidewalks in this city. It's, it's abominable. Like it's, I can't, I've never been in a city that didn't have sidewalks. Like it, it's such a thing, lack of
5: thing, So here's where I've come to with that issue after uh, having lived on a, you know, urban Sanit street with no sidewalk for five years with my little kids is I started out going, okay, I want a sidewalk. And I'm talking to counselors and I'm like, give us a sidewalk. We need a sidewalk. This is ridiculous. And now I'm like, I actually don't care so much about the sidewalk. I need a designated space to be able to move um, on foot and for my children to exist safely. And that could be the road. We could have um, a Woonerf, we could have, um, you know, traffic calming engineering, we could have this road shut off to, um, through traffic so that it's, people are only using it to really come to these properties. There's so many things that Saanich could be doing and um, there's, and, and yeah, absolutely, I would prefer to have a sidewalk, but it's, it's mind-boggling to me that we have accepted in the interim absolutely nothing that absolutely nothing and um you know we're being told okay within 30 years or 25 or whatever it is now um you'll all get sidewalks it will be this paradise but in the interim you know what about my kids what about my grandkids at that point um there needs to be some kind of interim measure or some kind of change that addresses the situation that's actually occurring which is Pedestrians, cyclists, and motorists are all using the same asphalt surface with no separation on it um, and no acknowledgement that that's what's happening.
6: Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting point. I mean, uh, I actually live on on Empire Street in Victoria and at the top of my street is actually a Vunerf and at the bottom of my of my uh, block is the new Haltane bike lanes and both, you know, have elements of those things that are being tried um, to, you know, one, no sidewalks, and they're just trying to, where the communities tried to limit traffic. And then you have on the other side, you know, a real big, um, you know, piece of infrastructure that the city's actually put in along Haltane Street, which also, but I mean, you know, both uh, uh, have really reduced the, the traffic flows immensely in the work that's been, been done. And, and, you know, they both are kind of working.
4: It's yes, the reality is our cities here in a lot of North America are designed for cars. And it often feels like as a pedestrian, as a cyclist, as someone using a mobility device, you are an afterthought. And like Elise said, you advocate for one tiny stretch of of sidewalk. You advocate for one crosswalk. And it seems like an uphill battle to even do that. And we just don't want to be an afterthought anymore. Like, why are you making your decisions based around driving only Mm -hmm. and giving us whatever's left over
5: this makes me think about activists that I've seen in the news over the years doing things like building themselves a a bamboo frame in the shape of a car to go around their bike (laughs) or to walk within and it's true it's like you know these spaces that are built for for cars but also um I would I would like to kind of take a step back from that too and say like some of our spaces uh, were around before cars were our you know predominant form of transportation I know my my mom grew up in um Victoria and um you know certainly not everyone was driving um to the same extent there was a lot more walking going on And if you look at you know pictures of even earlier history there there is a precedent there and we we made a decision um you know in the sort of post Second World War era, it seems like to really prioritize one mode. But we, um, our cities existed before then. Um, I mean, sandwich was clearly a lot less dense, but, um, you know, we, we can make different decisions and map that out on the same space as well.
0: Yeah, like I think I think you can see that the cities are designed around the function of cars, because in the discussion around like how how far away does each one of us live from an essential and enemy um, service such as a grocery store. Uh, And uh, luckily for me, I live right by uptown so I can walk to two because I live right by the Walmart and save on that's right there in about five, five or 10 minutes. But I think if I lived, you know, 10 blocks further away from here, that's still the closest grocery store to me and the cities have been designed so that you essentially have to drive to these places. And there, there, there's no small local shop that you can walk to across the street to grab, uh, to grab your groceries. Uh, I lived in Vancouver uh, for a number of years and I lived in a neighborhood that had that. And I very much miss living in Vancouver because of the small local shops. I hate shopping at Walmart. Uh, But it's, it's the closest thing to me that I don't have to drive to. Mm -hmm. And the, I think, I think one of the other things too, is that like, like I grew up in Calgary, and Calgary is the city of suburbs. And I grew up in a suburb, I was just looking it up on the map. And it's a 20 minute walk to get to the grocery store one direction, but it's a three minute drive and that 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 city was designed for drivers and i think coming to victoria to saanich to to the uh, capital region district is you have this super tiny city you can drive from one end to the other in 20 minutes if there's no traffic but if there is traffic it's somehow an hour and a half but if you want to walk that distance it's it's excessively long as well and then um if you if you want to ride your bike Uh, being on the Capital Bike side of things is that it's like you've got one trail in Saanich that goes north-south you've got the Lockside Trail Mm -hmm. and so where does that go it just happens to go right past Uptown which is convenient for a number of things but what happens if I want to ride my bike over to the root cellar and now I have to ride my bike on an unprotected bike lane on Mackenzie Avenue up a fairly steep hill and there's a turning lane if I'm heading east on Mackenzie Ave, there's a turning lane there and cars are turning in front of you and behind you and the bike doesn't have the right of way. And most people are riding up that hill at like 10 kilometers an hour and traffic's going 60, 70. It's, um,
5: I want to, I want to pick up on something that you said, Stephen, that I thought was really fascinating, which was um, when you mentioned corner stores and that we don't, we don't really have those with a, you know, a few small exceptions. Mostly, I would say, in the city of Victoria proper, um, we don't have that. I know certainly on my street there is a building that clearly used to be a corner store, so it's not without precedent. But it that I think that connects um, our road use patterns and our mobility options back to the bigger issue of zoning. Um, and I would expand on that to say. Um, you know, it's not just about where we're allowing businesses to exist, um, how much parking we're requiring them to have for what type of business, um, but it also is about where we're allowing density. So you're talking about how long does it take me to get to this corner store? Well, this corner store, you know, this, at this point, a business is going to want to be serving a certain number of people in a neighborhood. It becomes a lot easier Um, for a business person to say, hey, I'm going to set up a corner store inside this neighborhood if that neighborhood is a bit more dense. Um, And, you know, and similarly, I know in um, urban centers, we've had a lot of businesses want to do kind of a takeout thing or kind of more of a casual thing and coming up against this requirement for parking. Um, And it seems like our, a lot of our zoning for our buildings and our businesses um, is actually part of this car centric situation where we're, creating, um, we're we're creating infrastructure and we're creating a community that's really hard to move around by any other mode because we've, we've really created um, a system that favors kind of the strip mall model.
3: Yeah. And that's a good example. And at least you're doing a good job of foreshadowing, too, I think, where we want to go, you know, in this conversation, too. Like, what are the policies, you know, that would lead to unlocking a lot of the systemic change, I think, you know, that we're sort of discussing. And we've touched on some, you know, bad examples, too. And feel free to add some more. But, yeah, draw the listener in. What's a good example, you know, of a walkable active transportation, you know, style part of the community? Um, And then if you've got another bad example or, or, or two, you know. Feel free to, to um, throw those in the mix.
0: I think a really bad example is Uptown. I think that who, whoever designed it, and I, I, I'm just going to, I don't know, maybe <laughs> I'm just going to get personal here, but like, why would you design a space? Like, take a look at it, right? You've got two main highways coming into there. You've got the Trans-Canada Highway and the two main roads coming out of downtown. Why is there not a bus depot at Uptown? Why is it that if I want to get on a bus to go downtown, I've got my option of the 72 or I can walk a block and a half to the 33 or I can walk another block to the 50. Like it doesn't converge as a walker. You're walking through parking lots that don't have sidewalks in it. And it's supposed to be this like urban place but you know it's like during the pandemic they they shut down that middle area that was all parking and it it became a way better place to to work and I think I think I think that that is probably the worst example of like what you could do is just build a giant mall for cars and I think a really good example is in the city of Victoria down at the Cook Street Village area and it's a very walkable area large sidewalks traffic calming keeps the track um there there's not high uh traffic speeds and um there's lots of small local shops in the area mm-hmm. and a lot of people often say like oh i want to live in cook street but that's the only place that's like that i guess james bay is kind of similar as well and it's like uh, it's a got that neighborhoody feel to it mm-hmm. um,
3: a good friend of mine calls it downtown James Bay and I just find that lovely. <laughs> it's got its own little hub. Amanda, what about you? Good and bad examples that stand out for you?
4: Um, I guess there's quite, there's quite a lot of bad examples and maybe that's why, you know, we're kind of drawn to to them and and being advocates. But I was thinking, you know, because this is Sanish land, I think one bad example that's pretty notorious around Sands residence is in Shelburne Valley and there's ongoing work to try to make Shelburne Valley better but not much seems to be happening and you know that's the area of Shelburne Street you know Shelburne Valley Center, Hillside Center, University Center, Felton Village. You have a lot of seniors living in the area, a lot of students live in the area, a lot of people out walking, a lot of amenities so they're there but there's big stretches where there's no sidewalks at all. There's big stretches of road where there's no crosswalks. People are crossing the road and putting themselves in danger. The sidewalks uh, that are adjacent to the street are not separated. The speed on Shelburne is too high, in my opinion, for that type of street that essentially functions as a residential neighbourhood street in some areas. Um, Look at the conditions of the sidewalks. They're, you know, broken. Uh, There's, in various states, of disrepair. And... know i think people who've lived in that area have been advocating for changes there for decades and it hasn't gone anywhere and it's one of those examples i think that you know there's the shelburne valley action plan that Sanage council put forward and approved and but we really haven't seen much progress on making it better and i think in terms of walking and cycling in that area um and i don't live in that area so maybe others can probably have more personal experiences with that but I've talked to so many people that are just like that that area needs massive amount of improvement.
1: I uh, totally agree with you Amanda and I I live in Gordon Head so I do use Shelburne Street not to cycle (laughs) I do walk on it uh, quite often uh, at the the northern end Um, but I Can tell you, you know, having been on council at the time when the Shelburne Valley Action Plan was approved after a very extensive consultation process, nine years of consultation to have that document finalized and approved. I think the reason that it's been so slow is that there was no follow through on the zoning there was no enabling of the land use that the plan calls for. And so it means, you know, it is deliberately set as a 30-year plan because they know from an infrastructure perspective, the only way they're going to be able to build it without enabling the land use they want is by doing that incremental infrastructure improvement that's been so slow just in that one and a half kilometer stretch at the north end. And so I think the lesson I learned from that is that if you have a, a community vision, and I think the vision in the Shelburne Valley Action Plan is a really strong one for walkability, creating neighborhood hubs, creating enabling that social connectedness opportunity, you have to follow through with the zoning you want in order to create those things. And, and that's how you animate the change. Um, so uh, the lesson for me was you have you can't simply approve a plan and shelve it. You have to follow through with the zoning uh, to get the land use you want.
4: Good, good insider's perspective there. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, sometimes you, you know you look at these plans, and I know members of Walk on Victoria were involved in some of that consultation as well. You kind of look and you work hard on the consultation, and you see the plan, and then you don't see much going on with that and you kind of just wonder what's happening and obviously there's a lot going on behind the scene but at the same time 30 years is a long time and it's you know they're building new condos in that area the University Heights area there's you know lots of students and seniors in that area again too and
0: you know we need faster action on some of these these plans. I just wanted to jump in since we were talking about the Shelburne area is some of the bike lanes in Saanich actually I'm going to say most of them you can't really define a bike lane if it's a block long mm. and there's one on McKenzie. Obviously I go East on McKenzie a lot because I've brought it up twice now, but the uh, when, it, when, when you're going East on McKenzie, after you jump up the Hill heading towards UVic is right between Cedar Hill road and Shelburne, there's a separated bike lane and that's the only part of that road. That's a separated bike lane, but it's hidden behind a bunch of power pools. And the number of times that I've almost been hit by a car that's making a right-hand turn because they can't see me is too many to count. And the fact that that separated bike lane is only one block long because it doesn't start before or continue after, or have the delayed right-hand turn line, uh, light is, you know, if you build it, they will come. And what has been built is a disaster and Hmm. so it just it's a dangerous it's a dangerous spot you've got a downhill on a as on a bike you're you're probably going to hit 25 30 kilometers an hour going on that and so I think that that specific intersection is you know just because we brought it up that it sounds like that's an awful place to walk but it's also an awful place to bike
5: that's Stephen you just like handed me my my two examples my uh, best and worst example and I'm going to really focus on um, cycling because that's what I'm doing these days um and so my worst place in our region right now my current enemy number one is the full bells and whistles beautiful bike lane on ravine way behind uptown it is less than a whole block long it does not connect to the galloping goose trail and it does not connect to anything else at the end. And it's less than a block long. So my choices, if I'm trying to ride a bike in that area, are to somehow awkwardly get off the Galloping Goose Trail as it you know, comes, you got your kind of uh, connector there up to that crosswalk. So then I'm going to, okay, I'm getting off my bike and I'm walking it, I guess, if I'm trying to do things legally and I'm getting, and then what am I doing? I'm walking my bike on the sidewalk for half a block and then I'm getting onto this two way on one side, beautiful, but brand new bike lane for less than entire block. And then this bike lane ends at a weird, sketchy intersection where I then have to decide, do I go with the pedestrians and keep walking my bike, which again, I can't really do right now. Or do I somehow try to insert myself back into the traffic lane at the intersection when drivers are least expecting it, um, exposing myself to danger. And at a time when I'm the tippiest on my bike, drivers are the least expecting it, et cetera. So, and not only do these disappearing bike lanes and sort of disappearing infrastructure in general, uh, I, it, in my mind and in my experience put us, and I don't have any stats and just going off my experience here, put us in more danger than as if there were nothing there but they confuse people and they they set up an expectation for um cyclists to feel like they're welcome or they're safe that then it's not meeting and so for someone who's just trying to get into cycling as transportation that's going to be a huge letdown you're going oh there's a bike lane there and then you try it and you're like well that felt awful and it was also super slow <laughs> so Are they going to think that biking is a great way to get around? Probably not. Um, And also I've had my worst experiences with drivers and conflict when I'm perceived as not using infrastructure that's there for me. I'm not staying in my lane, literally. And sometimes say there's a painted shadow in a spot where I know people are opening car doors and I don't want to get doored. So I'm staying in the, in the vehicle lane or, I'm going on Ravine Way and I'm like, I'm not even going to bother getting in that less than one block long, fancy two-way bike lane because then I have to get out of it and that's dangerous. That's where Those sorts of um, instances are where I find I have the most conflict with drivers because I'm perceived as not being in the space that I should be in. Um, so that's my number one least favorite at this moment. And um, in the, you know, the similar area, I would point out to the um, Galloping Goose and Lockside Trails. I think, you know, we maybe would overlook them because we're so used to them. We take them for granted. Um, but, you know, and, and certainly um, I know there are some efforts underway to widen and expand um, both those trails and discussions are happening. That needs to be faster. That needs to happen now. needed to happen five years ago. Um, but absolutely the, the idea that not only we ha- do we have dedicated space but that that space is not up against a lot of traffic we're not breathing in fumes um we're not we don't have this noise pollution of trying to ride our bikes close to a steady heavy flow of traffic um but also it's that bike super highway effect so we're not stopping at all the red lights we're not um getting hung up in the traffic with the all of the the cars um and you know, so I think we also need to, rather than thinking, okay, how do I carve out a space for cyclists on these roadways? We can also take an approach that I know has been taken in a lot of European cities. Of okay, what are the bike ways in the city? We've got our thoroughfares for cars. What are our thoroughfares for cyclists? Um, and maybe I'm being greedy here because I'm going to maybe pick another favorite street. But I think that Halting is an example of doing that um, in a a way where, you know, we're saying, okay, this this street is no longer a street that you can really get from one end to the other um, driving a car, but you can on a bike. So that makes it a bike thoroughfare and it makes it a bike kind of super highway. You can get somewhere a lot more directly and a lot faster and you're not, um, you know, just on a bike lane on the side of a heavy car thoroughfare.
1: I have done a lot of um, canvassing in that area. We call the panhandle off of Richmond road. Uh, that yes. is that sort of two yeah. blocks of Saanich and the people who live down there rave about the changes on Haltane because they work in town. If they're headed into the office or maybe they're just headed downtown to get coffee uh, and they love what's happened there because it's become such a comfortable place to ride. You're right, the the cars that are on that road are much slower, they no longer have to contend with the bus coming and going. uh, And it's just such a nice connection to town. And so creating those kinds of bikeways, um i think are it, it really make a world of difference for people who are are commuting by bike or just recreationally traveling I
5: mean, by believe bike. it or not but living as i do close to tillicum mall i'm more likely to take my kids to willow's beach than sacks point on my bike because yeah. i can go mostly on bike lanes and i go up Haltane and it's just i feel relaxed we're happy mm-hmm. it's nice whereas if i'm going up tillicum and then Lampson, it's a, it's a struggle
1: just a much more
6: pleasant experience to go in that more comfortable traveling environment.
5: Absolutely.
6: All right. I'm happy to jump in with my couple of uh, examples and I'll give you a, a good example and I'll give you what I think in that one's in Victoria and then I'll give you a potential uh, uh, opportunity and that that one's in, in Saanich. And so, you know, I agree with what we've said about Haltane. My one hesitation on the Haltane corridor is that, you know, while it's great that we've done the the quick and dirty and, and turned it over to, you know, bike space, um, it's still a really wide street. And uh, I would have loved uh, to see them actually, you know, strip away a layer of the parking and, and broaden the the sidewalks and, and things in there. But my, my great example is is uh, Vancouver Street, which is really, you know, uh, very similar to what they've done on Haltane. And it's really just changed my whole, whole commute um, as I walk, because you know, as soon as I get across uh, Bay Street and get over onto onto Vancouver to walk downtown, um, since the since that bikeway went in, uh, the difference in in walking along that street is just absolutely amazing. It's so quiet, um, peaceful, and and it stretches you know all the way down to, to uh, you know turn off you know uh, near Pandora, and uh, it's just such a pleasant a pleasant opportunity, and and really you know cars can still access every piece of that street, it just, you have to be, you know, going to a specific part of it and, and really it's kept, it's kept all the people that are driving around it uh, off of it. So that's, that's my, you know, example of a good example. Where I think we, where sandwich, I think, has, a, has such an amazing opportunity to actually, you know, have its own uh, Cook Street Village, as Stephen was talking about earlier, uh, uh, with all the little shops and, and amenities, and, and that is in the Shelburne Valley. And and it's actually you know Shelburne, Shelburne and, and Cedar Hill Crossroad, which you know most people you know drive past it, but uh, and I'm actually you know uh, working on a little bit of an article uh, on it right now for my um, blog. It's such a diamond in the rough uh, that that section there. You have such an amazing diversity of restaurants, shops, um, stores in that you know two-block stretch of of Shelburne Valley, and you know, you can't tell that it's there because it's such a horrible place to actually walk. And so people drive to the place that they want to go, get back in the car and drive away. But if you could walk in that section and, you know, stopping at the Jewish deli that's there or go into, you know, get some Japanese food at Fujia uh, or, you know, go across the street and have some some pho. Like, I mean, what an amazing uh, amount of of, uh, businesses in such a small area. And it's really just because it's such a horrible place to walk that the rest of the city doesn't know it's there, um, and so I think that's such an o- opportunity to have. Uh, it would be if if you could make um, that that two block stretch walkable um, and uh, you know slow the cars down a little bit in there. It would it would kick Cook Street Village's butt. Um, I mean, it, is, it has got way more diversity. It's probably second. I would say it's second only to maybe uh, Blanchard and Fort for the diversity of restaurants in the city and uh, 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 such a diamond in the rough there. And so that's that's where I think the potential is. Um, I'm not going to go into a, the, the worst. I, I'm going to leave it on a positive note for that.
1: You know, um, the other thing, Thomas, is that it is so proximal to uh, Mount Ptolemy It's amazing that we don't have better access to that mountain uh, that is, I mean, all of the shops you just described are at the foot of the mountain. And if you think about like Montreal and how easily you would kind of flow up uh, to a park space and then back down and be surrounded by this urban environment. And we haven't done any of that, explored any of that opportunity to integrate that really phenomenal site uh, with the urban area or suburban area around it.
6: Well, that's a great example. I mean, if you could, if you could, you know, grab some food down in uh, Shelburne Valley there and then walk up onto like a nice picnic perch up on Mount Ptolemy, that would be absolutely, absolutely amazing.
5: The example of the the mountain in Montreal and that, um, that ability to flow between kind of green spaces and urban spaces, I would give a shout out to the Dallas road bike lanes and um, infrastructure there. I have recently very much enjoyed moving through um, Beacon Hill Park, um, and, you know, the Dallas Road area. And wow, is that a pleasant experience for me?
0: I'm going to have to debate that with you. I think, you know, I, I have almost hit pedestrians that are walking in that bike lane when I'm cycling through there. And that's what I want to debate is that like good concept, but you can't build a, If you're going to build a walkway and a bike lane beside each other, you have to build a walkway that's wide enough for four or five people to stand abreast beside each other. And if you're going to put a bike lane, no matter like it's paint, you know, like, I don't know what it is with cities, but they're like, Oh, we put some paint on a road here, have a bike lane. That's going to protect you. That's going to tell everybody. And it doesn't work the number of people that walk in that bike lane because the walking path isn't wide enough. That's what I want to debate. I think that's, the bike... I, yeah,
5: I hear you on that. And that sort of comes back to what I was talking about about the Galloping Goose and Lockside trails needing to be yes. expanded. And that the the concept of um, sharing p- between pedestrians and cyclists really only works when you have lower volume and also yes. uh, for areas that are not being used as commuter corridors. So when I'm on my bike and the Dallas bike lane path thing I'm like with my kids I'm going slow I'm blasting my music I'm not hitting anybody like I'm barely riding you know often in that type of circumstance I might even be just like using my throttle and actually kind of you know my legs are kind of flapping and helping me balance so um yeah but uh, you know absolutely the con- the condition's Of kind of lower volume and it not being a commuter corridor for cyclists need to be met otherwise of course you're going to have conflict and I think in that way, I certainly thought the last time I used it like oh I should probably check if there's a cruise ship in town before I come here again because it probably gets pretty wild when that's going on.
0: Yeah I I think I think taking into into question like what is the bike lane being built for And, you know, if you're going to build like a sunny side beach drive, I guess that's why they kind of, well, that's Dallas road, but it turns into beach drive. But, you know, if you're going to build this like um, beach commuter area where you hop on a beach cruiser bike that has max speed of like 20 kilometers an hour, and you never ride it for more than like six kilometers and you're just like out for a stroll and you want to throw that bike lane beside a walking path. I think that that works fine. But I think if you're going to build, a bike lane for commuting, I, I think you need to take into consideration, you know, like if you're going to build a commuter road, they they have to put in specific engineering into that road, you know, it has to be able to sustain specific uh, weight loads for, for the trucks that are going on it. So they should also take into consideration when they're building a bike lane, a little bit of engineering of like, what is this road, this path going to actually be used for? And if it's going to be like, the the Lockside trailer the galloping goose is it has turned into a bike highway and you know most people are going like 20 to 30 kilometers an hour on it and then you've got these people that are also walking on the same path and you're talking a path that's like what maybe two three meters wide it just is um i don't know it it, it was good and it, i i think it can just be upgraded
1: with um, that point on upgrades and uh, investments in infrastructure, we're going to ask uh, each of you if you could pick one infrastructure investment or one policy change that you think would make the single greatest difference for walking or biking. What would that be? And Amanda, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with you.
4: Okay. Um... It's always a hard question to look at, you know, what one thing can you do to make it safer for people to walk? You know, people are often looking for, you know, what's one crosswalk that's going to save our city? But reality is, like we've talked about, it's not just one crosswalk or one sidewalk. It's designing the city to accommodate pedestrians. And there are some policies, you know, at a high level, I think, going a little bit abstract, there's policies such as Vision Zero. Which is a policy that aims to eliminate all fatalities and severe injuries caused by traffic accidents. And this has been implemented a lot in other countries, especially in Europe, and it's now growing in North America. And, you know, taking that lens to all the decisions that are made. And I realize that's a big ask. Um, So, in terms of, you know, what's one thing that could happen right now, I think one of the biggest things is reducing speed limits on especially residential streets. And I think one of the things like I talked about is that, you know, pedestrians, cyclists often feel unsafe because cars are going too fast or, you know, there's streets like we talked about uptown, I think Douglas Street and someone can fact check me. I think it's maybe 50 or 60 kilometers an hour on that street and you know, you're expected to, you know, wait for a bus there or walk to the amenities. And, you know, the reality is, you know, you the consequences of being hit by a car at 60 kilometers an hour versus 30 kilometers an hour is a vast difference in terms of the outcomes. And, and so, you know, I think having a default speed limit of 30 kilometers an hour on all residential streets is something that cities could do quite easily and it would i think make a huge difference in terms of the safety and, and people actually wanting to use the bike lanes and ride their bike on the road and walk on roads uh, on sidewalks that aren't separated from the road if if you know these infrastructure changes are going to take too long to happen i think you know that's one practical thing but um it's not you know it's it's definitely a challenge but you know, it's something I think that we need to do if we want to make our, our city better.
0: Yeah, you know, I think that the city of Saanich released its active transportation plan. And they didn't set any timelines. They didn't set any deadlines. You know, it's like the, the city is aware of it. Um, the uh, I think that that was from 2018. Uh, the, the people, the, the planners are aware of the problems, all of the problems. You know, this this document's hundreds of pages long. And I think I think what they I think what they actually need to do is follow through with it, set some timelines, set some goals and actually make some action on it. You know, if you're going to highlight the entire city in red and say, hey, we need to build at least a sidewalk on every single road in red. We'll do it, you know, like like what what are they doing with with their resources otherwise? Um, They are building some separated bike lanes, but Saanich is kind of becoming notorious for one block, two block long bike lanes, separated bike lanes. You know, they just built one on Blanchard going from, uh, I think it's not, is it Tattersall? Up to um, City Hall. What good does that do you when there's no other separated bike lanes in the area? Um, It's like what I was saying earlier with the um, heading, heading east on Mackenzie near Shelburne. Like, what is the point of one block? Like, why, why not follow through and do 10 blocks, 15 blocks? Why not the whole street, top to bottom? And uh, I, I think that that is what should be done, is just actually follow through with what the plan has been outlined as.
4: Well, and the reality is it's about are they putting money behind this plan and are they allocating budget?
0: If you want to see
4: what cities really, you know, council... Is really focused on look at the budget and see what they're allocating their money towards. And there'll be these grand plans in Sandwich and you know, all other municipalities. You look at their budget, it's pennies compared to what's being spent on other things. And I recognize, you know, there's a lot of pressures in our communities. But if you're not going to put money behind the plan to do, you know, and other resources to actually implement these changes, then it's just going to sit on a desk somewhere. And that's great, you had a plan, but. You know, what yeah. are you
0: going to do about it? Yeah, absolutely. Like, t- take a look at the all of the praise that um, what is a Colwood is getting for that uh, bike overpass to connect the Galloping Goose over on Island Highway. What was the federal investment, like $3 million or something like that? And they're like, oh, we can build this overpass for like $8 million. Like we all know that that is pennies just absolute pennies to it and then the federal government dropped like what was it please correct me on on the number if you know what the actual one was i think it was like 65 75 million dollars for that um highway overpass on the pat bay highway to get you to i think it's keating crossroad like how many how many bike overpasses could we build if we had that kind of funding going towards bikes you know you could build a bike super highway for 100 million dollars across the, the, whole, the whole area for the cost of a single car overpass. You might not need the car overpass if you built a bike superhighway because there might not be enough cars to, to sustain it.
6: I love it. This big vision stuff. Thomas, what about you? Uh, I'm going to keep it pretty simple. I think uh, for me, uh, the biggest thing that we could do is mandate uh, two-metre sidewalks on, on uh, residential streets and three-metre sidewalks in any urban areas. Um, you know, we, and, and the bonus is, well, it's, it's manifold, many fold, but uh, it gives you lots of space for walking, but also gives you enough space to stretch out and pause and, and, you know, creates community. The other bonus is that it actually generally is going to have to reduce your street width, which is going to slow cars down, uh, no matter what, because a narrow street, once it's, once you constrain a street, cars just have to slow down because they feel tight in there. Um, and uh, you know, gives people a space to to play and and uh, you know, just have a stroller and two or two strollers or a mobility assist uh, thing pass each other comfortably. Um, so that, that would be my biggest uh, thing I'd love to see is, is uh, two meter sidewalks in residential areas and three meter sidewalks uh, uh, on the uh, uh, in urban areas. I will, I will just, you know, because I think that people are really bashing that, that overpass in, in uh, Central Saanich, um, the, the flyover, and I do get the, you know, the $77 million price tag on it, couldn't we just use it somewhere else, but I think that, you know, we need to pick and choose some of those things, because I think that, that, that one, in particular, is something that I've seen as an infrastructure piece that's actually needed in Victoria for a long time, because it's not actually focused so much on taking cars off the road as it is trucks and and uh you know we do need to have those those industrial park areas in a city um, and Keating crossroad is is one of them and you know if we can safely move cars uh, s- trucks um, off a highway I think that's a a benefit I think we should be looking at at trying to do you know both and rather than either or in those sorts of situations
0: yeah I just want to add I don't think i, I- I don't want to come across as being the person that says like oh let's like just stop the the truck infrastructure the car infrastructure is if we can find i i think that the the point that i'm trying to come across as is if we can find the money to do it for a car and trucks why can't we find the money to do it for some bikes and if we're going to praise three million dollars for bikes um maybe we can praise 30 million dollars for bikes maybe we can play yeah, praise i completely
6: agree for with that bikes completely agree yeah. with you on
0: that for sure Elise what about you what's your
1: um, your investment suggestion or your policy suggestion
5: yeah I that is a really hard question because um, like everyone on this um, in this conversation and and you know people who've been forced uh, like I was to start to think a lot and read a lot about road safety because I live in an area where I Don't have it, and I need to know what I want to ask for. I have a laundry list of things that I would like, but you've asked me for one, and I'm going to go with uh, something as concrete as possible. Um, And it's actually inspired by the time that I spent living in Montreal. And uh, Montreal has come up in this conversation uh, before, and that's a a city that I lived in for a time. And I would like to see the um, capital region. Um, prohibit right turns on red lights. I think um, in terms of one easily implemented, um, concrete policy um, that we could uh, bring in, and I know we're, I'm probably opening a can of worms here with what the province does and what municipalities can and can't do, but um, you know, just in terms of my wish list, that would be the thing that if I could do one policy, it would be no right turns on red. Um, I, you may have heard me recount before, Dean certainly has a story of my uh, extremely near miss uh, with my um, child. Um, I have also myself been struck uh, riding my bike by a vehicle, by a driver, and um, I've had many extremely close calls and the common denominator and all the, these extremely close calls or the time that I was hit is uh, someone doing a right turn on a red. Um, it just makes it really, really hard to share the space with pedestrians um, and cyclists. Um, and and it's really dangerous. And I think from having lived in Montreal, I ha- can see the example that it's something that we don't actually have to allow. Um, so that would be if I had to pick one really simple little policy thing that I'm sure is probably not as simple as I think it is once you start to dig into uh, the provincial, municipal jurisdictions, but that would be no right turns on red.
1: I I have to agree with you, Elise, that would be, um, it seems so easy to be able to make that change. And I have been in a situation many times where I was almost hit by somebody who just ran a red light effectively uh, to make a right turn.
3: This has been such an informative and interesting discussion. And I'd like to thank you all for joining us and, and participating um, in it. Um, I know I've enjoyed listening to you all. I think this is exactly what Dean and I were hoping for when we were thinking mm-hmm. about this episode and this topic. Yeah.
1: This has been fantastic. I mean, obviously a lot of these things are not the examples we want to be uh, celebrating, but um, the the conversation we've had here has been so informative and I just appreciate how, how, how much you all think deeply about this topic how thoughtful you all are in in what you bring to the conversation and uh, how committed you are to making a a safer more enjoyable community for everybody
3: yeah i would agree um we need people like yourselves you know coming together and and pushing for solutions and really engaging in a space too it's 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 difficult to change the urban form and, and there's a tension, of course, between incremental change and then the, the necessity, you know, the needs for some perhaps bigger changes, you know, more immediately. But um, the only way that that things like that happen is by getting involved. So thank you again so much for your time uh, your de- and your dedication and for tonight's conversation. I've really enjoyed it.
1: The next time uh, we all get together. We'll serve um, the butter tarts and the, the vegan Nanaimo bars and it will be an opportunity to celebrate the improvements in mobility that we've achieved.
5: Can I, can I say like a quick closing thing here? Sure. can I, I'm i just kind of, I'm reflecting on everything that's been said um, in this space tonight and something that's coming forward for me is how much we all love our region and love um, where we live. And even though we spent a lot of time complaining about some of the problem areas. Um, we were doing so in a way that I think showed um, a close relationship with those spaces. Um, and I, I do think that's the beauty of a, a multimodal lifestyle where we get to know the spaces that we live in in different ways. I have a picture of my kids the other day actually smelling roses from inside our bike. So um, I think this conversation has been really enjoyable. And I think all of our um, love for our communities has been even present, even though you might think we were doing a lot of venting. Um, it's felt really wonderful and really full of love.
2: Yeah, thank you. Well, well said, at
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree
2: more, at least.
3: Yeah, I would say that too. To me, to me, it did not sound like a lot of complaining. I think it sounded to me like a very um, forthright and discussion and reflection on what it's like, though, too, to get around. But thank you for that. You know, just reflecting back, uh, I did not hear lots of complaints. I heard lots of (laughs) suggestions for improvement.
1: (laughs) What a fantastic conversation. Our thanks again to Stephen McMurray from Capital Bike, Thomas Guerrero from Sidewalking Victoria, Amanda McDonald at Walk on Victoria and Elise Cote of Better Mobility Saanich. I really appreciate the thoughtfulness of um, what they bring to that conversation, and really the impact of walkability, cyclability, and uh, how much transportation affects our our sense of place and uh, and the community that we we enjoy and why we would want to spend time in it. So um, I found that really illuminating and and so helpful in understanding um really what makes for for a great community
2: yeah I would agree I mean they had wonderful perspectives and you know the the passion and the commitment that they all have to this topic you know which is really also about making our communities better places for us Mm
4: -hmm.
2: right I think isn't a really important one so it was wonderful for them to come on the show and and give us their time and and so, yeah, and with that, we would love to hear from you, our listeners. What did you think about this episode? And who else would you like us to interview on Sandwich Land? We're happy to take your suggestions. So you can give them to us at info at deanmurdoch.ca, or you can go to votedean.ca and um,
3: submit your comments there on the website. I'm happy to hear them. And I look forward to talking to you again in the next episode, Dean.
1: Yeah, me too, ma'am. Thanks so much.